Good morning. It's good to be with you in a part two of a series. I'm not going to have an, another unplanned introduction. We'll go ahead and open the, the text. So Psalm 37, that one got me in trouble last week a little bit. <laughs> Psalm 37, and um, we're going to do part two, reasons to stop worrying so much. As we look at Psalm 37, page 591. You don't know what I'm talking about. You can go back and uh, listen to the very beginning of last week. <laughs> All right, let's start in verse one of Psalm 37. Fret not yourselves because of evil doers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. We're going to skip down to verse 16 now for sake of time. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. The arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times, and in days of famine they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish. Like smoke they vanish away. The wicked borrows, but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. But those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. For the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young, and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children becomes a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Now, last two verses, verse 39 and 40. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Let's once more go to the Lord in in prayer. Lord, what sweet promises there are in this passage for such a relevant topic and such a way, as you know, that we often distrust you. So pray, Lord, now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you as we hear your word and set out to obey it. All by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I will, um, I guess, give a little follow-up to last week. Um, in, in terms of my introduction, 
I didn't get in too much trouble from my comments um, I made regarding the marriage retreat. Um, but um, I did. I walked in the door, and, and uh, again, you may have to go back and listen to what I said. I'm not going to repeat it. But uh, I just got this uh, cute little, you know, face smiling at me, and she, pro- she said, you know, probably was good that you didn't ask me beforehand uh, about that. So it, it did turn out good. But uh, I did get permission to follow up with that and give a little story into kind of what, something that, that uh, was going on with that and relevant to this topic today. Miriam and I moved here two years ago in October, and we, we had a pretty quick transition. It, uh, the calling happened pretty quick. Uh, we had a one-year-old and a two-year-old, and um, it just, I'll just say this. It wasn't a very easy season of parenting. Uh, we were no doubt wanting a third child, but um, the thought of a third child coming was, was really hard in, in such a season with the other, where the other two were. So when we found out we were pregnant a few weeks after we moved here, and again, I got permission to say this, but it was really hard on Miriam. And it led to a good bit of anxiety and fretting. There were a lot of tears shed, and it truly was more than uh, she thought she could handle. There's a new place, uh, no friends, a hard season with the kids, and uh, having a, a, another child in this place of life's it just wasn't our plan, to say the least. Last week from Psalm 37, we looked about looked at fretting. And we looked more at fretting in terms of what we have or don't have, our possessions. But this week I want to look at in terms of our plans in our life, where, where we are in our lives or where we think we want to be or should be. Again, we don't know really where David was in this passage when he wrote this, but we know a few things about about. David. For sure, he knew times of fretting, of anxiety that led to even anger, of when life was not go, going according to a plan. Right? I mean, he was, he was told he was going to be king of the whole nation when he was a young boy, a, a shepherd. And then all of a sudden, he starts playing the harp for the king in the palace, and then he kills Goliath, becomes the savior of the whole nation. Almost overnight, they start to sing songs about him. David's killed ten thousands. He, he, he gets thousands of followers on Twitter overnight. You know, I mean, instantly famous. But then all of a sudden, the, the king gets jealous. He starts throwing spears at him in, his, in the palace. And, and uh, he's, he's then chased into the desert by the whole army going after him. And, and they have one objective, is, is to kill this young man. This was not David's plan, to say the least. A real story, and it's probably around this time that he writes something like this, where in verse 1 he says, Do not fret that anxiety you feel over evildoers. And most of us have had big things happen that, in our lives that, that were not according to our plan. We, we would not have planned it this way. Maybe you fit the case of one who said to me about a week or a week and a half ago, just said, I just don't know if I love the place in life where I am right now. Such unplanned life circumstances, many more small ones throughout the week, are the reason that many of us live with a lot of fretting in our lives, right? Anxiety, even anger over where you are or where you think you should be in life. So we looked at three reasons why we fret over what we have or don't have last week. 
This week we're going to look at Psalm 37 again and, and just see two more reasons why we fret. And then a, a few promises of how we can stop fretting so much. Okay? So here's, here's, here's a reason why we fret in terms of our plans. Number one, we, we tend to dwell in the past or the future. Dwelling in the past or the future. Verse 3. Look at verse 3. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Dwell in the land, he says. To dwell means to settle down in a, in a place. See, the Bible tells us this about our lives. That God, wherever you are in your place of life, God has given you that specific land or that specific place in life that you are right now. 1 Corinthians seven, seventeen, Paul says, whether you're single or whether you're married, let each person lead the life that God has assigned for him and to which God has called him. Later in verse 20, he says, each one is to remain in the calling or place into which he was called. Remain means to continue. Same thing's going on. Dwell there. Second Corinthians 10, Paul says, God has assigned us to a specific area of influence. So I think what David is saying here, basically this, that we are to dwell in the specific land, quote unquote, or place of life God has given you and me right now, and then aim to be faithful right there in that place of life. But isn't it our tendency to dwell elsewhere? Some of us tend to dwell in the past, for example. I had a really good friend of mine that really struggled with this. I lived with him while I was in seminary. He wasn't in seminary, but he worked a job that he, he, um, he was really discontent in and, um, and just in life in general. And he constantly talked about the glory days when he was in college, when he had this or that, you know, it was going so well with him. Israel, as you know, you read Exodus, it only took a few days after they were delivered out of Egypt for them to start complaining and grumbling. Why? They're convinced God's plan wasn't good. Egypt was so much better. We had everything we need, even though they were slaves. They dwelled in the past. And our minds can tend to dwell in the past as well. Wasn't it easier when, fill in the blank, where does your mind go? To go to your health when I didn't have this specific sickness or disease, trial. Your family when, when marriage or children was at an easier stage. Or work when I had a different position that I really liked. When I was free from certain responsibilities that I have now. When I wasn't in school. Surely you don't think that already a week into school, but <laughs> later. When our mind suddenly drifts back to the past, sometimes we fret. We grumble. And complain. It's easier, easy to dwell also in the future, though. Some of us struggle more here. Always dreaming of what could be. Thinking of how life could be different than what it is now. If only I was older or better or smarter or had this different job or, or lived there. If only he or she would notice me or love me better or respect me or was more committed to me. We were at a wedding uh, not too long ago, and my little four-year-old uh, girl was the flower girl. And um, as we walked to the reception, I can tell she was pondering something. 
uh, Brandon and Anna's wedding. And, um, and I said, you know, say, Avery, hey, what are you thinking about? She said, she looks up and she says, um, Daddy, who do you think is going to be my flower girl at my wedding? <laughs> I was like, whoa, you know, slow down. I'll let you start dating at, you know, 27. But it's so natural, you know, isn't it, for a girl or for really all of us in different ways to take a good desire, a good longing for the future. Let our mind and our emotions start to dwell there. And then what happens? We start to fret, get anxious or even grumble because that hasn't happened yet. Or maybe we start to think it's not going to happen at all. Truth is, God has given you the specific land where you are in life right now to dwell in. And you're called to give your emotional energy, your, your thought life to that specific land, to be faithful there today when you get home from church, tomorrow, and go to work or when you go to school. It means if you're, are you fretting because you're single and you have a longing to be married? That's a great desire. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, he said, don't waste your singleness. Be faithful with the extra time you have, the extra money, (laughs) to, to love your friends well, to invest in serving others. And be faithful by not manipulating others with your clothing or your personality to try to make it happen on your timing. Are you fretting because you're married and yet you, you don't have children yet? Mary and I waited for years um, to have children and went through a miscarriage. And, and uh, you know, especially for women, as, a, as one of my, my friend's wife said, it's almost like dying a death every month. But, and this is a God-given desire, right? Uh, these are good longings. But God has called you to dwell where you are right now. To be faithful, to not waste the extra time you have with your spouse and invest in the kingdom, to serve others. Fretting because your kids are in a hard stage. I hear all the time the wise counsel uh, that many have given that um, each stage with your kids has its joys and its challenges, right? But they keep saying, enjoy your kids where you are. And what I hear there is this, this simple wisdom. Dwell there. Dwell in the land that you have been given right now. Don't wish it away. Don't waste the time when your kids are throwing food at you from the table. And don't waste the time when you you just can't get them to say anything during their teenage years. Paul Tripper wrote a whole book about this called The Age of Opportunity. He says for mothers to encourage parents to um, how to to dwell and be faithful in the land when their teenagers are, when their kids are teenagers. He says, see it as an age of opportunity. To shepherd their hearts. Are you fretting because of health situation? This is so hard because I haven't dealt with uh, a lot of what many of you have. Pastor and writer John Piper, when he got cancer, he wrote a book titled Don't Waste Your Cancer, or an article rather. It's an amazing resource for those who are suffering and basically encouraging them. He has several promises of God that says dwell and be faithful where God has you right now. Where you are in life right now, God has assigned you that land. And you're called not to fret, not to dwell in the past what used to be, and not to dwell in the future what could be, but dwell in the place 
or God has you and be faithful there. Second reason we fret, not because of dwelling in the past and future, but also we try to control the present. Controlling the present. Verse 5 says this, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. We're called to commit our way to the Lord. Way there means literally your journey. Commit your journey. But what he's talking about is your plans for your life. To commit them to God. Commit means to roll them over. That's the word he's using. He's saying literally roll the plans of your life over to the Lord. To take what you have on your in your mind as the best case scenario for the next month or year or ten years of your life and just enroll it over and entrust it to God. As pastor and writer Ed Stetzer says, he said it like this in a sermon. He said, put your yes on the table and then let God put it on the map. <laughs> to take and put your yes on the table and then let God put it on the map. But this is really hard to do, isn't it? We, we tend to write our plans in ink and then from across the table kind of show it to God real quick, right? You could just sign off right here. <laughs> And then kind of get yourself going and making it happen. Why is it so hard for us to commit our way to the Lord? To write our plans in, in light pencil and then roll it over to God who has the ink pen and then an eraser. Again, it's the same as last week. We look, the heart problem is the same. We looked at verse 5 when it says, it says trust in the Lord. It's the same thing here. Commit your way. It means to entrust your way to the Lord. It's a trust problem. We simply don't trust God with our plans. One of my fond memories as a child uh, was when we'd we'd be going down the highway with my dad. He'd have the car set on cruise control, right? And then he'd kind of be getting tired a little bit. He said, why don't you just kind of lean over and take the wheel and hold it for a little while? I thought it was... The coolest thing uh, back then. But I guess it, it's, <laughs> it seems kind of dangerous now. <laughs> now that I think about it. <laughs> when my kid drives at 18, he can have it all. But um, Better example. Somebody showed me on YouTube not too long ago. Um, um, some pretty funny videos of some of those new self-driving cars, you know, kind of the new thing. Their cars are going to be driving us in the future. Um, and, and one, I think, is Volvo. You know, a big promotional thing. Had the news cameras and a man with a microphone or whatever. And he's talking it up. The car will be coming any time now. And, you know, there's a big truck with, you know, stop, you know, like he's stopping in traffic. And this car shoots out of this this warehouse thing. And everybody's watching, clicking pictures. And it it just goes, wham! <laughs> and everybody's like... The guy's standing there with the microphone like, yeah, I mean, literally, like, his mouth is like, I don't know what to say. So, um, but if if we're honest, you know, trusting God, handing over control of our plan sometimes seems like this. It it feels like this. It, It just feels, it feels like we're, it's hard to trust him with our driving plans of our lives. It feels unpredictable. If we're honest, it it feels more safe with us driving, with us making the decisions. What we've written down just seems more reliable, more good. 
point is, you and I were not created to commit our way to ourselves and have control over the car of our lives. And so much of our anxious fretting in life comes because we just won't release control. We've just got a death grip on the steering wheel of our lives. We won't roll our plans over to God. We fret because we distrust God here as well as the place of life God has called us to dwell. Now, if that's true, how can we deal with the fretting? How can we really trust God with our plans? So let's look at two promises. How can we stop fretting so much? Two promises that you can trust about God that hopefully will allow us to leave here kind of releasing a little bit of that control. Number one, trust God's control over your good, okay? We've got a control problem. We can trust God's control over our good. This is verse 5 again. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him and, listen, it says this. He will act. It says it kind of similarly in verse 23. The steps of a man, your plan, is established by the Lord. Steps, figurative language to say the course of your life is established by the Lord. Established means to make secure to make blessed, to make prosperous, to make it good. What makes us able to entrust our plans to the Lord, to roll them over to Him? It's the assurance that God is in control of a plan to establish and secure and bless the course of your life. We have a hard time trusting this. Often because His plan is so veiled, right? Maybe because it doesn't seem like it's going very well. Like the course of your life is very secure. They seem out of control right now. Praise the Lord, we have examples in Scripture of real life stories of people like like Joseph back in Genesis, right? It wasn't his plan to be betrayed by his family, all his brothers, to be thrown into a pit, maybe never to see his family again, to be sold into slavery, to be wrongfully accused and then thrown into prison after striving to do what is right, and then to be forgotten and left in the prison. But do you remember what he said when he revealed himself to his brothers later in Egypt? You read this story? For the first time, I know what I would have said. You know what he said? He says, don't be distressed. That's one of the first things. Don't fret or be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. How in the world does somebody say something like that in, in, in a similar situation? Because some of you have known such betrayal, such pain from family. such bitterness, such anger over where God has you maybe in life? The answer is to trust that God was in control. He trusted that God was in control of the plan, the whole plan of his life to establish. God has established his steps, the course of his life. He says this over and over in Genesis. Genesis 45, 5, he told his brothers, he said, don't be distressed because you sold me here. Not because you sold me here, but because God sent me. He said, God sent me here. Two more times he says, it's not that you sent me here, but God. And then in chapter 50, the famous passage, you meant it for evil, no doubt. But God meant it for good. God was in control and he meant it for good. He knew that God was not crossing his fingers during this whole time. Not just hoping that it would turn out right. 
God had established his steps and assigned him particular times and places, even in the hard, and God was in control of his good. Isaiah 46, you want some more passages about this? 46, 9, he says, I am God. There is no other declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel will stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. I have spoken what I have said I will do. Ephesians 1.11, for those who are in Christ, God says he's working all things out according to the counsel of his will. You hear him saying over and over, he will act. Romans 8.28, of course, you know this one. For those who love God, God is working out all things all together for your good. In other words, God is never caught by surprise. He, he's never caught off guard by the things that are going on right now in your place of life. And he's surely not helpless. Things are not out of control. Another way he says this in this psalm in 30, chapter, uh, chapter 37, he says, the Lord upholds you. Verse 24 says, we may fall, but we will not be cast down because the Lord upholds his hand. Verse 39, the Lord is our stronghold in times of trouble. You know, I find it completely amazing. When my child, when a child has his father's hand, just how much trust he has when a father has a firm grip on his hand. It's, it's, you know, my son would walk on the edge of a cliff. I'm not kidding. <laughs> The Grand Canyon, if he knew that I was, up, well, I was holding firm onto his hand, he, would, he just does not fret. He knows I have control over his good. So number one is trust God's control over your good. And number two is this, trust God's care for your good. Trust God's care for your good. See, we need to hear this because some, some of us really know this. We believe God is in control, Right? But you struggle to believe that God really cares for you. That he takes notice of you. That he really knows what's going on and, and he loves you. Maybe this is because you come in feeling so unworthy this morning. Maybe you feel so guilty and that you don't deserve God to take notice of you and to care for you. If that's you, I want you to hear these promises here. Look at verse 18. The Lord knows the days of the blameless. Their heritage will remain forever. The Lord, it's from Psalm 1 at the very end. He says, the Lord knows your way. And this is not like you know George Bush or Barack Obama. Like you've, you've heard them, you've seen them on TV. You know, but you, this isn't that kind of know, when the word that's used here. This is a very intimate knowledge of someone. This is like you know your spouse or a best friend. You they take notice of you. They regard you. It indicates, God wants you to hear, this word here indicates his nearness, his presence with you, and ultimately his care for you. When I was in seminary, um, I, I, I was fretting over um, a certain girl I was convinced that I was meant to, to, to be with. And when it became clear in a conversation with her that she was not convinced of the same thing, um, I remember driving home, and uh, Matthew 6 started ringing in my, my mind. You may know this passage on fretting, on anxiety, but Jesus says this, Why are you so anxious over your life, what you will wear, what you eat? 
referring to many other things than that. And he finally says this. He says the Gentiles, the pagans, the people who don't know God, God doesn't know them. They, they seek after all these things. But then he says this, but your heavenly Father knows you. Knows that you need all these things. And then when I pondered that on this little ride home, man, the peace of God just came into my life. Just God knows and cares for me and my future much better than I do. He cares for my way. He, he, this is the one who knew the name of the awesome wife that he had for me, who is much better. The one who knew the, the name of our third little child, Lucy, and exactly when she would be born and formed her in the womb and knew that she would be not a source of fretting, but the, 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 the best blessing in our lives, in our family. And it was perfect timing. Peter, in 1 Peter 5, 7, he, he says something similar. He said, cast your burdens on the Lord. Why? Because he, he cares for you. He cares for you. It's the same word. I, I wonder if Peter got it back when he was with Jesus in the boat. You remember when the storming was just beaten down on the boat? And... Um, I mean, there's a, a reason for fretting, right? The storm is raging. They really think they're going to die. I mean, they're in the middle of an ocean, and they think their boat's going to turn over and they're going to die. They think Jesus is out of control, but they also think Jesus doesn't really care about them because he uses this word. They say, Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? The same word as in 1 Peter 5, 7. Don't you care that we're perishing, Jesus? And Jesus didn't answer the question. But he only asked them a question. He said, why do you have little faith? See, he's showing us that fretting really is a matter of, it's a faith issue. It's a trust issue. It's a heart problem of trusting God. Behind our anxiety is a distrust that God is out of control and he really just doesn't care. Do you ever think that? Don't you, you say that maybe? Not, none of us say that out loud. We're not so bold, right? We say, don't you care, but... Suddenly, don't, do you feel that? Don't you care, God? But don't you, can't you think of yourself in the boat of what Jesus might be thinking at that time when he's with them in that little boat? I mean, this is the whole reason the eternal Son of God, through whom the millions of gallons in the ocean were created, and the wind and the, and the storms, it's the whole reason that he's in this little tiny boat in the little tiny city of Galilee, and in relationship to him, this little tiny earth, it's the only reason he's there because he so cared and loved such distrusting fretters like the disciples and like you and me. It's the reason Jesus was faced with fretting later in the garden. He had known the plan from the beginning. He, he knew his immediate future was to be rejected by everyone he loved. And even his own father in heaven. And then be put up on a cross. To pay for the sin of our distrusting. And our fretting. And when he was tempted to fret. Escape the place that God had assigned to him. He wrestled with it. And then he said. But not my plan. Not my course of life. But yours be done. He was faithful to the place. That God had assigned him. Why? Because he knows and cares. 
for you, for those who, would, who entrust themselves to him, who simply trust him. You know, I, I love the movies, Toy Stories. Um, there's a scene in, in uh, the second Toy Story where Woody is frantically looking for his hat because his owner, Andy, is going off to summer camp. And he's, uh, he's, he's, he's fretting. He's so anxious because he thinks that Andy's going to leave him without his hat. The little toy, Bo Peep, <laughs> comes up to him and, and grabs his attention. And she says, hey, Woody, look under your boot. And Woody's like, don't be silly. My hat's not under my boot. And she says, just look. And so he picks up his boot. And written in permanent marker, as most of you know, is this word of his owner. It says, Andy. What is she saying to him in the midst of fretting, anxiously wondering if he's going to be left? She's saying, you don't have to fret because your owner, he he knows you. And he, he cares for you. He's not going to leave or abandon you. It's guaranteed by writing this on you. We're about to sing the song Cornerstone. I just want to encourage you to let this be an opportunity for you. If you relate with such fretting that comes from that hard issue of trusting, of distrusting God, I want to encourage you, that number one, that you would sing this in a way that you place your hope and trust, not in your righteousness, the fact that you haven't been so anxious or whatever, or, or worthy of such care, in spite of your distrust or fretting, in spite of your great sin, that you would put your build your hope and trust. You say it's built on, on the blood of Jesus and his righteousness. That God knows all of you and he deeply cares for your good. The blood of God's son is, is written upon your life. And that's the guarantee of it. And then number two, it says, through the storms of life. That through the storms of your life, if you're in one of those right now, in the uncertainty, the stormy times, it says that he is Lord. When you sing that, would you just declare that God is in control to work all things, ultimately for your good, of you being with him forever? Let's pray. Oh God, would you be so gracious this morning to rip from our hands the death grip we have in trusting ourselves and that we would be free to declare with utter confidence that our hope is built on solid ground. The righteousness of Jesus, the fact that you are our Lord, and you are in control. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.